This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. This is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, I, I we were chatting before we started recording, and I learned something about you. I learned that <laughs> you were that kid, even though you, you grew up in a way that was completely different than us, there was a time... When you had to turn something in and you said the dog ate it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but I do have a similar, similar <laughs> present day story if we should tell it. I don't know. Do you guys want to hear the story about how the goat broke my computer? <laughs> <laughs> words that I never thought would come out of my mouth. Yes, and words that I never thought you would say on a podcast. So, yeah, let's hear it. Okay, so um, I have a friend who has some goats, and they bought a goat. They, these goats are not like, um, you know, pets or they're friendly, but they're not like, Okay, let's, you know, let's just take a step back now. These goats are not pets. Did you actually have to say that? Well, some people, <laughs> some people really goats make great pets. They're so funny. They're destructive as heck, but they're they're awesome. But some goats are kept like you know they're in barns. They're milking goats, or you know um, the, the little hobby farm breeds them, and you know they, they're just they're kept close to the house or whatever. But in this case, the goats are just out. They're they're kind of wild. I mean, they're friendly because they they. Um, They've been trained to recognize that people bring the good stuff, the treats. But other than that, they just mind their own business. So anyway, um, they got a goat multiple months ago and did not know that when they got this goat, she was pregnant. Um, I guess she had just gotten knocked up. I don't know, whatever. And they were out there in the field looking at the goat going, oh, holy crap, that goat looks pregnant. And then the next day there was a baby. Uh, unexpected baby. And, you know, everything was fine. And then suddenly out of the blue, the mama goat passed away. And so there's this little uh, six week old baby that no longer has a mom. And um, they're not going to do, they were just going to let, like, okay, you know, if it lives, it lives. And I was like, no. No, you can't do that. You know, so baby goats, they they need to nurse um, at least, you know, six, usually it's six weeks, um, six to eight weeks. And, and by then they're weaned and they're just eating grass and whatever everybody else eats. Um, baby, I had to look all this up. I didn't know it. Um, and baby goats that are, are fed on the bottle usually don't stay on the bottle quite that long, but they're they're already with people. And this little goat had never been with people and was not friendly at all. And so um, I was like, just, just give the goat to me. I, I just want to make sure that 
she's at least eating and drinking and she's not just going to starve to death out there in the field or, or be kicked out of the herd or something like so that. So this is the first time we've all learned that you have a barn in the back of your, of, and of your no, house. No, that's just it. <laughs> I live in suburbia. You're not supposed to have agricultural animals in non-agricultural areas. And so what this meant was I'm like, I got to keep this goat in the house. Now, the thing about goats is they're not like dogs or even guinea pigs where you can or rabbits where you can litter train them. They're just going to go wherever, whenever. So that meant I had to put diapers on the goat. <laughs> so I I was like, I just, I didn't want to like keep the goat for from It's a little baby and, and a small little baby at that. And I just wanted to make sure she was okay and, and keep an eye on her for a couple days, make sure she was eating and drinking and could fend for herself. And so I had the goat in my house in suburbia wearing diapers for two days. And diapers. she went, yes, diapers. Like I went to, to Walmart and bought the box, the cheapest diapers I could get. And then I had to watch YouTube tutorial about how to poke a hole in the diaper to pull the tail through so that you could, you know, keep the diaper on anyway. <laughs> diapers. And so, um, you know, I'm just like YouTubing like crazy to, to figure out how to do all this stuff. What do I need to feed it? What do I, you know, whatever. And so, um, by the end of two days, I was like, okay, this goat is capable of eating and drinking. The fact that she's not nursing on her mom anymore is not going to be a problem. She should be fine. But before I sent her back, um, she was like, would be with me all day in the office. And she liked to go underneath my desk where it was dark. And, you know, she had her little cozy corner. And I got up and left the office to go do something. And I hear this massive crash. And I didn't even have to guess what it was. I knew as she had come out from the desk to see where I went. Cause goats are very, very social. They're, they're herd animals. They don't like to be alone. And she was alone in the room and she needed to know where I'd gone. And she'd taken the computer cord with her and dragged the laptop onto the floor and just crashed. And I was just like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. And there's pieces of the laptop all over the floor, but I pick it up and the thing is still working. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> I started snapping the pieces back together, and like, you know, the, the casing had cracked and come apart. But I just smushed it back together and it clicked back in place. So I'm still, I thought it's still working, so I'm still using it. But that was the day the goat broke my computer. All right, and this is a great transition into our topic because I would love to tell everybody that you just made that story up because you're so creative, <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't. But we are going to talk about creativity today and whether or not it can be taught. But before we get to that, a couple of questions about the goat. Did you name the goat? I did not name the goat, no. Did the goat um, get it's not my goat. his or her own room? Uh, no, the goat is back. She's back in, in the pasture. And Are you um, saying that only because the podcast is going live and someone might report you? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's a, it was a lot of work to take care of her and, you know, to keep the diapers changed. And she really wasn't, you know, she's not a house pet. She <laughs> did become very, very friendly. And so now whenever people come to the pasture, she will come and look for her treats because before she would just run away, you know, didn't want to have anything to do with people. And now people are her friends. So, you know, mission accomplished. But no, she's she's 
not my goat, <laughs> but I, she's alive. I know that you have been somewhat public about at least one of your pets because I've seen pictures of a cat online. What did the cat think of? Okay, so they're they're my kids. We have two cats. They're my kids' cats. And the bigger cat was like almost the size of that goat. Um, and it was really funny because when we first brought her in, I, the only way, only thing I had to transport her was a tiny little dog kennel. And so that's what I put her in. And I mean, we like gave her a, a bath with taking flea shampoo and everything first because, you know, bringing her in and to the house, you know, she's living out in the field. Um, and so she was in this little kennel, uh, just sitting there and I'd, I'd put her in the kitchen just on the tile floor. And at first the cats didn't realize that she was there. And then they kind of started circling the cage, just looking at it. And the the bigger cat, I mean, he was just hair up, you know, tail was about six inches thick, you know, just like, what is this thing? And the, the timid cat, the smaller one, did not realize that the thing in the cage was alive. <laughs> <laughs> that must have so, been alarming. <laughs> she came up just like checking it out, la, 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 and the goat moved, and she like just, she, you know those cartoons where the legs go straight out of the t- <laughs> And she was much more cautious after that. But then, you know, they got used to her being around and, you know, they just left her alone. And she, you know, little goats, they, they like to play and they like to, they play by headbutting. and dogs and cats aren't having it. They're like, no, <laughs> you know, what, what are you doing to me? Why are you headbutting me? So, uh, it was sort of a, you know, you stay to your room and we're just going to stay on this other side of the house until she was gone. So creativity, can it be taught by people that don't have goats? (laughs) You know, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. If it could be taught, I would really like to have some lessons (laughs) because we've talked about this before that I do not consider myself a creative person. And for me, coming up with the stories and building the characters and building um, the scenarios is the most difficult part of storytelling. I can edit and line edit all day long. That's easy once the story is more or less in place, provided we don't run into brick walls of, you know, is this the right, um, you know, structure for the chapter to be open the scene somewhere else that type of stuff can be quite maddening to me but creativity is you know i don't even what is creativity you know i would say that it's it's imagination it's being able to think outside the box and i'm a very very literal person i don't read between the lines very well i don't get subtleties i i definitely don't get hints and Passive aggression is lost on me. I just roll my eyes and go, whatever, you know. I say what I mean. I mean what I say. I don't dance around the edges of things. And and I don't do well with the inference when other people do because I'm very, very literal, which is not helpful for creativity. It's it's. I often feel that my stories uh, tend to be too linear, that I don't do what I don't have a lot of subplots going on. There's just not this um, this strong 
rich. It, I have to work so hard to build that. So I don't know that creativity can be taught per se, but I know that it can, you can even not very creative people such as myself can build out very rich and complex and creative stories. It's just a lot of work. Um, but then I like the bean counting side of it, the editing and all of that. So I guess it's a yin and yang because there can be very creative people who really don't care much for the, the technicalities of how the words are written. They just want to tell the stories. So um, I, I would imagine there's very few people who are blessed to be really good at both. And so whichever side of the spectrum you fall on, you're just going to have to work really hard on the other side. But I do know that there are a lot of things that can kill creativity. And being that creativity does not come naturally to me, I have to sort of um, prioritize and and try and avoid the things that are going to kill what little creativity I have. And... And it's interesting because when we started talking about this topic, I realized that there is something that absolutely kills creativity that I cannot avoid. And and we'll talk about that in, in just a minute. But I've, I've written about this. Um, it is, I think, one of the, the emails that is on the in the queue of people for people who sign up on my email list. And it's about negativity and criticism and how being a critical person and tearing apart other people's work and and authors some authors tend to do this when you see other people become successful and you feel that they don't deserve that success or you feel envious of that success you can spend a lot of time um, dwelling on that and being very critical and tearing apart their work you you see, if you're online a lot, you see this as well. I, I'm not online a lot, but when I am, I see so much negativity. Um, the, the environment that we live, we're in right now is so hyper-partisan, and it, there's a lot of attacking other people's ideas and beliefs uh, all across the spectrum, and not really an openness to try and see what makes them tick. And that sort of um, living on the edge of anger and um, and tearing other people down, all of that is very destructive to creativity. Because creativity requires you being able to open yourself up to criticism. Uh, anytime you put yourself out there, you you absolutely open yourself up to criticism. Anytime you're putting out ideas that even though your ideas are not you, they feel like you to your psyche. And so when your ideas get attacked, it feels like you yourself are under attack. And that is one of the hardest things to learn as an author when you get published and the, the negative reviews start coming in is learning to separate self from the creation of self and that when people attack your writing, they're not attacking you and, or they might be, but you can't let it um, affect you as if somehow you're a bad person or, or that you are under attack. And so when you live in an environment of negativity, 
and you are attacking other people, your own creative nature is now uh, is afraid. It's afraid to come out. It's afraid to expose itself. It's afraid to to be generous and authentic because you've spent all this time being negative and tearing down others. So subconsciously, you're aware that it could be coming back at you as well, unless you're just, I mean, some people are immune to that. They're a little bit not so self-aware, but except for those types of people, um, you know, you know, you're opening yourself up to that and your creativity doesn't want to be under attack. Yourself doesn't want to be under attack. And so you can actually create a writer's block or a mental block or a creative block in yourself by being such a participant of negativity and of all forms, not just attacking other people's writing, that one specifically is really going to kill your creative spirit and your ability to write. But it just in general, living in an environment of negativity, of, of anger and, and it attacking other people for things that you disagree with, it, you know, you got to decide, is it worth it? Is it worth it to what it's going to do to your ability to create and, and carve? I mean, sometimes anger can be a very uh, useful tool and, uh, you know, channeling that authentic rage into what you're writing. And, and that's that's all well and good. But um, but when you're attacking other people, that will come back at you and and kill your your creativity. So that's something that I really, really try and avoid for myself is avoiding um, sort of toxic environments where people are dogpiling on others or bitching about others or, you know, uh, outcasting uh, the the disfavored few. Um, being open to ideas that maybe aren't being open to the people who espouse ideas that maybe you disagree with does not mean that you agree with those ideas. It means that you are seeing humanity in other people and, and that you're capable of separating humanity from, from thought, just like you, you have to learn yourself as an author to separate your own self, your, your humanity from the thing that you create and to, to be generous enough to do that to other people, that actually can give your creativity the space and room to breathe and to be willing to make to make mistakes because that's you have to be at a place where you can fail, where you can make mistakes, where you can be told what you've done is wrong. And it's very, very hard to do that as is. But by being a forgiving person, being an open-minded person, refusing to um, to dogpile on or, or spend a lot of time picking apart other people, you give yourself you're giving yourself a gift by um, by giving your own creativity that that room to breathe, that room to make mistakes and not and not be perfect. So that's one thing that I personally really try and avoid because of what I know it's going to do to my own. Um, ability to write, and I cannot afford to not be able to write. That that's my entire livelihood is is based on. That's my job. And if all of a sudden I can't do my job anymore, then now what? You know, um, we had talked last week uh, when Steve had. We were talking about how chapters uh, of mine go up on Patreon a bit at a time, and we talked about the pressure to publish. And you know, I said, well, that actually bleeds into this topic for this week, which is, you know, the topic of can creativity be taught or, you know, the reverse of it, you know, can something kill creativity? And I, I will say that from from my own perspective, the the, hard, the the more I do this, it's it doesn't get easier, it gets harder 
to every book seems to be harder than the one before it because when you first start off writing, there's there's this um there's almost this naivety. Uh, you write in freedom. You don't you don't have any pressure put on you, and and the further along you get, the more pressure there is to not do what you've already done, to do better than what you've already done. You have all the negative voices that have have been. Now, instead of one book of neg- negative voices in your head, you've got 10 books or however many books of negative voices in your head of things not to do, trying to make your readers happy, um, trying trying to compete in, in a very, very crowded marketplace. And that pressure is anti-creativity. If, if you're afraid of failing, because there's very, very little room in this publishing world for failure uh, you don't especially when you're traditionally published you don't you don't get forgiven if you have a book that doesn't do well there's no oopsie try again let's do better next time except for the very 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 well published well paid authors they can have a flop or a book that the numbers go down and it doesn't matter but for somebody who's just starting out or somebody who's sort of you know, been transitioned through multiple things the way that I have, there's no forgiveness. There's no second chances. Every book has to just meet the metrics. And and that is just brutal on creativity because that sense of doom, that pending failure, what if this doesn't work, is very real. It's not it's not the typical neurosis that a lot of authors go through of, you know, is my stuff good enough? Oh, my God, this sucks. That's all normal. It's part of the process. That's, you know, great. We, we just live with it. That, that's how it is. But the, the actual practical part of it of if the numbers aren't good enough, that is not neurosis. That is 100 percent legitimate and it, it can kill creativity. And there's really nothing you can do about it as an author except just do your best and, and try and ignore it. If somebody knows a better technique for that, let me know, because I would really like to hear it and apply it in my own life, because that's part of what makes writing for me such a struggle. The further and further I do this is is that pressure to perform, that pressure to meet and exceed expectations. It's, you're not just writing for yourself anymore, you're writing to pay the bills. And if you don't do well, not only are you going to be humiliated publicly, but nobody's gonna wanna publish your next book. So that is a, is a huge creativity killer that I don't even know how to tackle except just one word in front of the other and just do the best that you can. Um, there is another creativity killer for me that I also can't avoid, and it, it actually makes me laugh when I think about this because I did it to myself, and it's sort of part of my brand, and that is all the Hack the Craft tutorials. <laughs> it, it, is, it is just maddening to sit there and try and work on my own work knowing that I've put myself out there as trying to teach other people how to do what I do. And if my work can't live up to what it needs to live up to, what right do I have to teach other people, right? So the more that I go out, uh, put myself out there in, in teaching this and correcting other people's material and showing how it could be done better, the harder it is for me to do my own writing and just be free to make mistakes and, um, and be generous to myself 
because then I'm a hypocrite and and I'm not practicing what I preach and you know who the hell am I and it's just this thing in my head it's really hard to get out of my own way I did it to myself <laughs> but um yeah it it is I think it falls under that uh that label or that branch of negativity even though I'm not being negative or picking apart other people's work for the sake of building myself up and tearing them down or because it makes me feel good or any of the the myriad of reasons why we might pick at somebody else's stuff. I'm still picking at this stuff, even if my motives are good, even if I'm doing it as a tutorial, even if I'm doing it to be helpful, even if I'm sacrificing my time and energy to to give back, it is still technically picking at other people's stuff, and it's a creativity killer. So I have not yet figured out how to juggle that balance in my life either. And so can creativity be taught? I don't know. I wish it could be because I would like to have some of that teaching. Can it be killed? Absolutely. And so um, if you have control over any of those areas in your life that are creativity killers, then avoid them. You might also have um, no, you know, every person is different. You know, what kills my creativity might not kill somebody else's. But if you can be sensitive to what it is that that is a creativity killer for you, then uh, then you can go out of your way to avoid it. So even if you can't get creativity added in, you at least know that you're not deducting it out. Well, this has been fascinating. And I, I really thought this would be a good topic for you because you do talk from time to time about how you're not really a creative person. And based on what I know about your process, I think that might be true. And that you build lots of, over the course, you're like the, the person, the builder who builds this magnificent house. And it might look like super creative in this spark of creative genius to someone who drives by and sees the house. But we know that you just, you know, you put a brick here and then you put a brick here and then you put a brick here and then you put a brick here. And eventually you have this house that, that turns out to be exactly what you wanted it to be. But it didn't start out that way. Right. Yeah. And there a was lot no of flash work, a of inspiration that said, no. this, is, this is the genius idea that's going to create this book. Correct. And and I know that there are authors out there who like they talk about how the characters just come alive and the characters speak to them and, you know, they have conversations with the voices in their heads and it just all flows. And I am very envious of that because that's not how it happens to me. But I guess those of you who struggle take inspiration from from me. You know, that's why. People, you know, they, they ask me about writer's block and I say I don't believe in writer's block. But that's very um, pithy. The truth is I live in a perpetual state of writer's block. And so I've had to just learn how to just keep working past it, how to avoid things, if I can, that will exacerbate it. And so, you know, it, sometimes it can be really frustrating when you look at other people who just seem to have it all together and, you know, their tips are not going to apply to you if you don't have that same ease of writing or whatever that they do. So look to me for your, you know, hope, whatever, that even somebody who really, really struggles to be able to do this 
can that I'm never inspired to write, so you don't have to be either. I do not feel creative. I am not just don't feel, I am not creative. So you don't have to be either, that's okay. You just have to work harder in some ways than other people do, and that's okay. All right, so that wraps up this week's episode on creativity. Uh, We will be back again next Tuesday. Catch you guys next week.